Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The fall 2019 Strickland Visiting Scholar Lecturer in History is Dr. Paula Findlin. She's a professor of early modern Europe and the history of science at Stanford University. The topic of her August 22nd talk was Leonardo's Library, How a Renaissance Artist Discovered the Meaning of Books. It focused on the impact of the printed word on the mind of one of the world's most renowned geniuses, Leonardo da Vinci. We'll peer into Leo's library, so to speak, after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU's Panhellenic Council has been recognized by its national governing body as one of the most outstanding groups of its kind in the country. The National Panhellenic Conference, a member-supported sorority advocacy organization based in Indianapolis, presented its College Panhellenic Excellence Award to MTSU earlier this month. To be chosen for the honor, MTSU's Panhellenic had to demonstrate excellence in academics, judicial procedures, community impact and relations, programming, structure, recruitment, and communication with its NPC area advisor. And two scholarships for women students at MTSU are accepting applications now for next year's awards. The winners of the Ruth Houston Memorial Undergraduate Scholarship and the Butler Fouts Memorial Graduate Scholarship each will receive $1,000 for the fall 2020 semester. The deadline to apply is Monday, November 18th. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Finland, welcome. Thank you for being our guest. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here. Thanks, Jenna. <laughs> Gutenberg invented movable type shortly before Leonardo was born. So could we say that printed material was a womb-to-tomb medium for him in that he didn't know an era before it? Well, you know, what I like to tell people is that I mean, technology takes a while before it gets in people's hands. You know, like think about nowadays, all this conversation we have about self-driving cars, but most of us haven't been in them. Right. Most of us haven't seen them, but we've heard about them. So I, I like to think of the early years of printing in the same way, that Leonardo grows up with the fact of printed books, but we don't know when he first sees a printed book. And my guess from the research I've done is that it's probably not until he is a young man, about 20, that he probably sees his first printed books. So it's not as though he grew up as a child reading voraciously or anything like that. You know, I think he grew up with with some books. You know, he certainly came from a literate family. So he he's growing up with this other kind of book that had existed by then for centuries, which is handwritten books, what we call the manuscript codex. And so one of the things I like to point out is that the book is a rapidly changing object in Leonardo's lifetime, and it comes in many different shapes and forms um, and is produced in a lot of different ways. So he's seeing and first experiences the old kind of a book, the handwritten manuscript, um, you know, whether it's on paper or on parchment, which is, you know, scraped animal skin. Uh, and then he begins to see this new book uh, that it, they called it initially artificial writing, right? That was what they called printing, that <laughs> yeah. it's artificial writing, right? It's the machine-made book. Like we call computers artificial intelligence. Exactly. And then he sees that there's not just one kind of that because what he gets to observe and participate in is how that machine-made book is changing rapidly 
in throughout his adult life in particular. Um, and so most of the books in his library are printed. You know, this we're pretty sure about. Uh, some of them are manuscripts. And let's not forget that an important part of the manuscripts in his library are the ones he himself is writing, whether it's random notes on various things in a notebook that simply contains notes and drawings, or it is uh, some kind of preparatory work for a book he never publishes, i.e. never puts into print. So in the Da Vinci home, as he's growing up, they certainly would have had a handwritten Bible, for example. Yeah, I, I think that's quite safe to say that there would be, that's a very typical book to have is a handwritten Bible or handwritten works, popular, you know, uh, devotional books, books of hours, um, prayer books, you know, what are the basic principles, right, of your faith, um, and account books, you know, books for, you know, you know, that contain all the numbers and facts and figures of family businesses. Keeping track of the money. Keeping track of the money, also keeping track of family, right? You know, like who was born, who died, you know, the things that later on people write in their family Bible in a different world uh, are written in these, these you know, books you, you buy and bind and you write down all those important facts of life. Was he a fairly voracious reader? That's what he became. I don't think he started off that way. This is one of the things I find so charming. You know, we just see him as this universal genius whose head is stuffed with every imaginable kind of knowledge. And I think looking at his relationship with books allow us, allows us to see this in more human terms, right? How, how did he get there? And as he got more curious about the world and had questions Books become a resource, but most of this is happening well in adult life. He doesn't have many books until he's, you know, in his 40s or even 50s. How much of a reader is Leonardo before his mid-30s? He can read. Mm -hmm. He surely has read, but, but it's not clear that he pays real attention to books until he gets to that point in his life. For someone who is intellectually curious and you haven't had unlimited exposure to books as a child, just like someone who could go down to the public library and check out whatever they want, that uh, uh, upon obtaining them, you would be like I was when I was a kid and just read everything you could get your hands on. Leonardo lives in a world in which the idea of the public library is just coming into existence only in a handful of places. He's fortunate to be in a part of the world that, that innovates this. Um, but I don't think he enters a public library until he really becomes a voracious reader, and then he realizes that these could be resources. I think his first encounters with libraries are entirely private libraries, starting with the family library, his grandfather's library in Vinci, whatever was in that, which we don't know, his father's library in Florence. Again, whatever was in it, we don't know. Um, and then what we do know is, is his own library, but also the way in which he comes to know people who have interesting libraries and starts to occasionally write down that he, he's borrowing a book from them. He would like to get a book here. What about, I mean, what you see is even if you're a Leonardo da Vinci, right, famous Renaissance artist, books are a hard-to-come-by commodity. You have to work to find them. And, and and this is all over his notebooks, and I'm, I'm just very struck by the fact that we often don't pay attention to this. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record.
The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Paula Findlin of Stanford University, the fall 2019 Strickland Visiting Scholar Lecturer in History, who spoke about Leonardo's Library, how a Renaissance artist discovered the meaning of books uh, during her October 22nd lecture. Does the fact that his access was at least at first limited uh, place more emphasis on his native genius, that he had to pursue the nurturing of his intellect in ways that were more perhaps rudimentary. You know, I think he's constantly balancing these things, right? This is one of the reasons he talks so much about the importance of experience, because I think he he's very aware that compared to somebody who's very, very learned, right, who, who had the full benefit of the kind of education you could get in the Renaissance, who had full access from early on to languages and books and libraries, you know, he's, he, he, he is aware of his deficiencies compared to that really learned person that he also wants to be, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so, so, so as a result, he's talking a lot about what, what, is the, what is the virtue of experience, right, in relationship to this kind of book knowledge. But ultimately, you see that you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that, that doing this project has gotten me thinking about is how um, even a limited set of books become become a kind of shared resource for a society. So he's a young artist, you know, artisan, and he's apprenticed to Verrocchio in Florence. He may have a book or two, but you know, virtually nothing. But it's it's the books around the workshop, right? That he starts already, I think, getting ideas. This is where he begins to get his aspirations because he sees how learned some of the best artists in Florence are, and he wants to be like them. And so that's the first stepping stone is how to be a learned artisan, which is about combining experience and 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 the knowledge in in books. But you probably don't own them, right? It's again, it's a, a resource for everybody who's in that world. And then it goes beyond that, and that's when it gets really interesting. And how did it get beyond that? As uh, printed books became more prevalent and more popular long after uh, Gutenberg's I- invention. Uh, how did he get deeper into the printed world? You know, I think this really starts to happen for him in the 1490s, which also matches when the 1490s, so printing has been around since circa 1450, right, since Gutenberg's Bible. And the 1490s is when we really begin to see an uptick in 
uh, printing succeeding as a business because a, lo a lot of early printing presses are failures. They're like startups nowadays. You know, most of them don't succeed. So they're fly by night. They're here and then they're gone. Then it begins to stabilize. Then it really begins to expand and diffuse to lots of different cities. So by the 1490s, which is when Leonardo really starts taking a serious interest in having books and what he can do with books, they're much more readily available. Plus, he has now been living at that point. He's been living since 1482 in Milan, which is a city twice as big as Florence. Nearby is a really old, important university, Pavia. Um, He's at this court now that is really invested in learning in a different way than Florence. So I think he's observing what's different about the the, the knowledge cultures of these places. Um, and yeah, and he I think is surrounded by more booksellers. And now he's now he's beginning to see, you know, all the variety of things that a book can contain. And I think as his curiosity grows, he begins to imagine that the answer is sometimes maybe first in a book, right, mm -hmm. in relation to experience. So that's interesting. So what what is it you need to know, right, not just for your curiosity, but also to succeed? I think he decides that he, because he's now working for a very fancy guy, the Duke of Milan, he has to look fancy. And so to look fancy, he also has to take on kind of the superficial aspect of learning as a kind of, you know, polishing up yourself, right? So you know, he wants to know how to tell a good joke. So he reads joke books. That's a popular <laughs> printed book. He he needs to know how to write a really good letter to show that he is the most fantastic Renaissance engineer, even though he's never built anything. And uh, all he has is a drawing, a resume book of drawings, right? But he has no finished products to show. But if he writes a really good letter, so he owns letter writing manuals to show you how to write a really good letter when you want to get a job, or, you know, or whatever it is you need to do with a letter. Um, and so books are are these kinds of great resources for him, you know, and not only for, you know, especially for technical subjects, science, medicine, engineering, architecture, but also for kind of, you know, how you constantly transform yourself. He's reading the popular novels of his day. Not that they're called novels, but they're tales, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, poetry. I mean, he's, he's you know, the, the library is this kind of great mind map of the diversity of his interests. So you do, you do see, you know, a, a particular portrait of Leonardo that matches very well our sense of him as somebody who's versatile, who's constantly making connections across things. But he knows he's smart. So yeah. at some point, he has to have enough confidence in himself to use his critical thinking skills to say that some of the things he sees in some books are a load of hooey and question them, right? Exactly, right. He he is, to the extent that he at times writes down what he thinks of things that he finds in specific books, you see him being a critical reader as much as he will also sometimes draw a passage, say, from Dante or Petrarch, these famous Florentine authors from memory, where he's being a Florentine reader. But, you know, he'll pick up a book, say, of anatomy, the standard anatomy textbook since the Middle Ages, and he'll just say, well, you know, this is what Mondino says, you know, this is what the muscles of the foot are like. But I think, you know, so he's basically, he doesn't assume that these books are authoritative in the sense that he shouldn't question them. No, you know, he wants to show you how the way he's learned in relationship to what has been written down might produce better knowledge. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record.
The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Paula Finland, the fall 2019 Strickland Visiting Scholar Lecturer in History, who spoke October 22nd on campus about Leonardo da Vinci and how he discovered the meaning of books. What kind of books do you think had the most influence on him? Well, here's one we're not expecting, and it's really important because he's got lots of them. Books on how to learn Latin, Latin dictionaries, Latin grammars, Latin grammars you should have had when you were eight years old because he didn't learn Latin then, uh, Latin grammars that you should have when you're 12, when you're an adult. You know, he he realizes that that to become um, a more, to, to satisfy his curiosity, to become a better reader and to be able to read more broadly, he has to unlock the code inside the vast majority of early printed books, which are written in Latin, not his native Tuscan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is a version of modern Italian, um, they're written in Latin. And he had not had that education, not because he couldn't have. People sometimes say that. They think because he was illegitimate, you know, he would have been denied. But no, I think it's because he went on a different path. I mean, his father is a very important man. He is, until he's in his early 20s, the only son, because the other kids come much, much later in Piero da Vinci's life. So he goes to the trouble of collecting up, and it's, you know, he, he all these books that will unlock the secret code of knowledge, which is Latin, and he never really masters it, but you see him trying, like taking a book of optics that's written in Latin, that was written in the Middle Ages, but then it's printed in the Renaissance. And, you know, he's fascinated with the eye and he wants to not just understand the eye as an artist, but it's a scientific problem, right? He really wants to understand how does the eye work? How does vision work? So he's got to read these books. So he actually tries to translate the beginning of John Peckham's medieval book of optics. And he doesn't do it well. And you can see the effort, then he stops, but he's trying, right? He really, he's a very aspirational reader. You know, if somebody, it's like one of us deciding, I've never taken physics, and now I'm just going to pick up that college physics textbook and get started because I've seen a documentary and I'm really fascinated with the current questions, you know, about particle theory. And, you know, so what do I need to do right, to do that to now? What kind of reader can I become? So he needs people to help him to read these things. That's something we often don't think about. He actually gets intellectual partners who have better skills than he does at reading these technical learned books. and. They're interested in what his art could do for their medicine, you know, or their engineering or, or, you know, whatever it is. 
And he's interested in the fact that if he reads with them, he'll know more. He's doing this in his 40s. It takes a lot of and, discipline, self-discipline. Yeah, exactly, to, that he's taking time away from an incredibly, you know, uh, storied career um, as one of the best painters, right? Um, you know, with a reputation, you know, you know, that transcends any one city. I mean, he, you know, he, ha he has a wide reputation. Do you think Leonardo would have been as prolific an artist or inventor had he been born in an era without the Gutenberg press? I mean, I, I like to think that he would be the same curious mind no matter what, because, you know, we look at people who precede him and we see that they're that way. You know, Filippo Brunelleschi comes to mind. But I don't think he would have written as much because... The writing is intimately connected to the reading. One of the reasons he is reading more is because he decides he wants to write more. So if the two are as interconnected as I'm suggesting, then we would have even less of what has survived of the notebooks. And we know, you know that we have maybe about a third of what he probably wrote in total or drew. I like to think that drawing Leonardo would be there no matter what. But even there, I wonder, you know, how like just the, those habits, right, of constantly putting things on paper because you have you're, you're ingesting so much information and it's giving you so many ideas. So without printed materials, the intellectual curiosity would still be there. He just might have to marshal up even more energy and effort in order to satisfy it. Yeah. And he wouldn't be surrounded by people who are just communicating so much in direct dialogue with, with this new kind of book. So I, I still think that we would have some very interesting documents from this Leonardo who lived without the printing press. Is this a story about the power of mass communication or the power of Leonardo's brain or both? Absolutely both. Because I do like to think of Leonardo as a Renaissance reader. I mean, he's an mm -hmm. especially interesting Renaissance reader, but he is reading a lot of things we can see other people reading and learning from and being inspired by and wanting to contribute to. What I think is especially unique about him is, is that he, as a... And an artist acquires, by the end of his life, a library of a very learned person filled with, you know, technical subjects as well as literary subjects, as well as cookbooks and joke books and all these things that many of us would like to have or do have on our mm -hmm. shelf. I think also that he begins to really think about the future of the book. And that's not something most people are thinking about. That's very quintessentially Leonardo, that he he isn't just satisfied with all the experiments that have been this early printed book. He's wondering, what else could it be? Could it do more? Could it be different? And he's occasionally writing down hints of his ideas of how the book could be further transformed that are extremely interesting. In his own way, he's sort of a transitional figure in the same sense uh, in mass communication in the sense that we who have lived through both the analog and digital eras of mass communication are making the transition as we go from one type of uh, technology to another and how to best utilize it to learn and to teach. He's going from the era of the scribes to the era of the press in his own lifetime. Exactly. Like we are, are always trying to think about all the things we are sure Leonardo invented because he put some version of what might be that on paper. So my question is, well, 
how did he interact with the greatest invention of his own time that was the printing press, which he draws twice, by the way. So those drawings are very interesting. He clearly makes a decision to not go into print, right? Let's not forget that Leonardo produces some of the most famous manuscript codices of all time. He ultimately does not give us what he has taken away from this long voyage of art and knowledge in a printed version, even though he thinks about what it might look like in print. But we are left entirely with his, what might have been his anatomical atlas, you know, the, the, the drafting mm -hmm. towards that project, what might have been a book on mechanics, the Madrid Codex, uh, what certainly was some kind of manual on painting that later on gets repackaged and produced out of his notes. He leaves all of this across a set of of different sized manuscripts. Maybe that's a, an, a reminder, a kind of object lesson to us that Leonardo is both moving forward, but he's also rethinking the possibilities of this very traditional way of expressing yourself because he still thinks it can maybe do more, that, that printing hasn't fully arrived there. You know, if you think about the early period of a slide projected image versus an early digitized image that had all that awful pixelation. And I refused to use it until we killed the slide machine in classes as a teacher <laughs> because I didn't want my images to look that bad. And I think Leonardo had a similar reaction. He looked at printed images in books and he thought, those look bad. My drawings are so much better. And I don't want this technology to do that to my drawings. So the technology has to change to become as good in its ability to reproduce. So what kind of technology will that be? And he has some models out there. I mean, his contemporary Albrecht Dürer is innovating incredibly the role of engraving as an artist, right? Dürer becomes famous for his printed you know, images, his engravings, right, with his famous AD signature. Even that's not good enough for him because he doesn't just want to print images. He wants to print words and images together. And the printing of engraved images and the printing of text are two entirely different but parallel technologies. You can't do them on the same press. So that's a, an obstacle right, that has to be addressed. Dr. Paula Findlin is a professor of early modern Europe and the history of science at Stanford University. She spoke October 22nd at MTSU on Leonardo's Library, How a Renaissance Artist Discovered the Meaning of Books. She was our fall 2019 Strickland Visiting Scholar Lecturer in History, and we were very fortunate to have her. Thank you, Dr. Finland. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. 
MTSU's partnership with Operation Song continues to draw healing stories from military veterans with the help of student and professional songwriters. Six trios teamed up once again in campus offices for a day of crafting music from memories that are often nearly impossible to express. Grammy-winning songwriter Marcus Humman worked with Teresa Carter, a Marine veteran and transition manager at MTSU's Daniels Veterans and Military Family Center, and MTSU senior Jody Chamberlain to turn a life of challenges into a three-minute story of hope called Wildflower Around Barbed Wire. Despite all the brokenness and all the tough times and really powerful witness, Teresa's just a survivor and resilient and strong and I was saying that she's smiling and to me it's like she's just a light and so I hope some of this is it was a, a bit emotionally draining but I thought the process was honestly like amazing to turn such a crazy time in my life into something a lot more poetic <laughs> a lot less of a lifetime maybe That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.